0: Hey, I'm Asher.
1: And I'm Jackson.
0: And what you're about to listen to is strictly confidential.
1: Asher and I were talking a couple of weeks ago about the difference between baseball and basketball. And how it feels like basketball's rules change all the time and baseball's rules don't change nearly as often. Right. I was doing a little bit of research just to see, okay, how much do baseball's rules really change?
0: Baseball's- okay, because what we said was pretty uh, founded in our feelings,
1: not necessarily mm-hmm. research. Yeah, when's the last time you watched a baseball game? Oh, um, 15 years ago. Okay, so I've been to a couple baseball games, but it's mostly an excuse to hear the good, good song that they sing. But what I've learned is that there is a website called baseball-almanac.com, and it catalogs all of the baseball rule changes. And guess how many times since 1975, the official MLB rules have changed? Okay, this is going to be one of the two extremes. Either it's going to be a lot or almost none. I'm going to go with four. It's been changed twice <laughs> since 1975. That is 44 years ago. How crazy is that? <laughs> okay, so we were on. I was on to something. Now I want to see how many times the basketball rules have changed. Because I'm sure there's a website that has that as well. Okay, yeah. Guess how many times it's been changed since... Uh, uh, it's a lot. <laughs> Spoilers. Oh, wait, no, this is NCAA, not NBA. Still, in NCAA, it's been changed over uh, what well, looks like 20 times. I'm not going to count all these. Some of the rules are small changes. Like in 2008, the MLB added lit- limited instant replay to be in effect for all games at that from that point on. So hmm. ba- basically, it allowed for you to, since all MLB games are filmed, it allowed for you to look back at the tape. Basically, just like a technological advancement for the sport. Right. Like allowing for the times to be available. So it's not big things that are, it's not only big things that are recorded here. Like in 1973, the rule on gloves, this is exactly what the website says. The rule on (laughs) glove size and color was minutely outlined for standardization. 1969, the pitcher's mound was dropped five inches. It's funnier. any sort of rules change to a sport
0: is hilarious when you assume that there had to be a specific instant that necessitated the rule. Yes. And so before Rainy Johnson, there was a pitcher who was just a little too tall. They're like, man, on the mound, that dude is like eight feet. Can we
1: we lower him down a little bit? I don't know. I don't even know what a lot of these mean. This one just says a sacrifice bunt was statistically recognized. (laughs) That's official from the MLB? Oh, the... There is also Knickerbocker Rules, which is a word that is always a fine word to say, but I always feel weird saying it. Yeah. Which I guess is what the Baseball League was before it was the NBA or the MLB. Sounds about right. It sounds goofy and civil war enough. Founded in 1845, which is... he's Louise. Isn't that wild though? 44 years and two changes to the rules.
0: I'm glad that we were right, but I didn't know we were that
1: right. The NBA list is i I found the actual NBA list. And since 1975, I mean, there were eight of them in 1976. (laughs) Um, And the list, it takes at least five or six scrolls to get to the bottom. So I I think we were right. NBA is a better sport. I got to be honest with you, man. You've given me the hardest thing to transition
0: from because I want to talk to you about hidden messages and you're talking about a subject of. Complete transparency and publicly available knowledge, which is kind of the opposite. But well, I guess I can start <laughs> off by
1: asking you. Well, at this point, all I'm doing when I'm coming up with these intro topics is trying to throw a new obstacle in your path.
0: I mean, we have enough episodes under our belt now that we can pretty much just use the beginning of the episode trying to validate. <laughs> beginning of the episode, trying to validate something we said at the beginning of an earlier episode. And we can keep that going. Ad nauseum.
1: At least for another 40 episodes or so, if we just add one to each one we've done so far. So, when you were a child, Jackson, let's talk about you. Let's get into the past. Did you ever have
0: secret information that you wanted to send to a friend?
1: Bold of you to assume I had friends. (laughs) (laughs) Now, I had friends, but I didn't have any secret messages. You weren't one of those kids that was just really into like
0: spy shit. No, I wasn't. Wow. Okay. well, that makes one of us because I was way into that stuff.
1: I am a little honored, though, that you would hypothesize that about me because I did play a decent amount of the Game Boy Advanced game Barbie Secret Agent. But that's about (laughs) that's about as far as I went with spy stuff.
0: Well, this may come as a surprise, but the uh, the world of cryptology goes a lot deeper than Barbie Secret Agent.
1: I feel like you're making that claim without knowing very much about Barbie's secret agent.
0: You're correct. I'm making a lot of assumptions here. Well, I would even imagine that there were adversaries, other groups that didn't exist, that were trying to intervene with my secret meetings with friends, and both real and imaginary. And I loved coming up with, like, codes and techniques of hiding information because it made me feel cool having a secret club is fun. And having a way to to send secret messages is fun. Because when you're a kid, you don't have a lot of power and it makes you feel powerful. Like you have a hidden knowledge that no one else on earth has. So you never even did something simple like using lemon juice in a toothpick to create a sort of invisible ink and writing with that. I'm saying lemon juice instead of piss because this is a family program.
1: Dog, I wish I had done that, but no, I haven't.
0: Well, little did I know that I was actually partaking in steganography. See, there are two categories of hidden messages, steganography and cryptology. And cryptology is the far more complex, but strangely more widely known about form of hidden messages, probably because it was so widely used in World War II. But I actually want to distinguish it with steganography, which is what we're focusing on today. So cryptology and this is me going off the dome, not reading anything here, just so you know how smart I am, is when you want to, oh, and then I brain fart. When you have an encrypted message, you can know that the message is encrypted, but still not know what it says, right? You need to have a key and understand the formula that created the encrypted message.
1: I'm going to base everything in this conversation off of exclusively the knowledge that I have from watching the first one-and-a-half national treasure movies.
0: Okay, that's great. That's actually a great starting point. And for cryptology, we're not going to go very far because that is a very deep well. But I just want to be able to lay down a basic definition of the purpose so that I can contrast it against the topic today. Okay. So in, in cryptology, you can have a secret message, but it's not readable to anyone who doesn't have the key because it's been encrypted. So you can find a long chain of gobbledygook characters and letters and numbers you can know that it's a secret code but if you don't have the formula to decrypt it or any other way to crack that code it doesn't matter because you still can't read it steganography is actually kind of the opposite and it's been around a lot longer and steganography also hides messages but the security comes through the obscurity basically the message itself is really easy to read It's hidden because it's in places where you would never think to look for it. So the first recorded use of steganography. Now I am reading. I got the reading voice on. It can be tracked back to 440 BC. That's in Herodotus's histories. And he talks about a message that was sent between Histius and his vassal. In which he had shaved his head with a message and then waited for his hair to grow out a little bit and then sent his vassal on, the, on his way. And when he arrived, he instructed him to shave his head again, and he could see the writing in his scalp.
1: So is this kind of the same kind of thing as I saw a chameleon, which lets you know that it was a terrible chameleon? I don't understand what you're saying. Uh, man, I wish I was good at analogies. But basically, the idea that if we are, 440 is only the reason we heard about them— Or we heard about the first one because the first one was very bad. It was very poorly hidden. No, this was successful. This was a chronicling
0: of an event by the the person who wrote the message wanted to make it known how smart that form of hiding the message was. And we can assume that steganography and the, the act of hiding messages has existed way before that. We're talking about one of the earliest written histories, period.
1: I think I was misunderstanding because I was under the idea that you wanted I want to send you a message. I want only you to know about it ever. Right. When hypothetically, I could just want you to know about it first. Interesting. My main point that I'm making here is
0: that the message that was in this guy's scalp and hidden by the longer parts of his hair. Anyone could have read it because it was plainly written out. It was just covered up. And no one would have thought to have shaved his head to reveal a message. So there was no encryption. There was no deciphering the text. It was plain to see. But only when you knew where to look and how to get it. And that's the art of steganography, is finding different ways to hide messages. And in such a way that you don't even know that a code is there. And that's the actual, that's why you would want to use this instead of an encrypted message. Because in some (laughs) countries, cryptography is illegal. And if you have a message that looks like an encrypted message, that is incriminating in and of itself. It's So it's far more secure and safe
1: to hide the fact that you're sending messages at all. I feel like this completely feels like something that sounds like a lot of fun to do, to try and come up with ways to hide messages.
0: Oh, absolutely. Because it's it's a creative medium that's unlimited.
1: Is there a part of this episode where we get to come up with ways...
0: There can be, but I actually want to talk about Johannes Trithemius. Oh, I was waiting moment. for him, yeah. Well, he was much later than 440 BC, but still a long time ago. Born in 1462, German guy, German uh, abbot, actually. And oh, he's I, I couldn't tell.
1: Can you say his name again?
0: Johannes Trithemius. German, you say? Well, we care about him today because he wrote a book called Steganographia, which is where we get the word steganography from. So obviously, it's important to the practice. In 1499, he wrote this book that was very scary and very mystical. On the surface, it seemed like the book was about using spirits to communicate over long distances and other forms of magic that involved the movement of the planets. Now, he was an abbot at the time, and this form of witchcraft and magic was not really smiled upon. And very quickly, it was put onto the banned books list. Index Liborium Prohibitorium in 1609. Actually, that's almost 100 years later, but that was when it was first published. So he wrote it in 1500. Mm -hmm. 100 years pass, and it's published in 1606. But just three years later, it's banned because it's witchcraft or so it seems. Actually, this book wasn't even about magic at all. It was a book about hiding messages. And he hid the techniques for doing so within the book itself. That's good. So Steganographia is actually a book about how to create hidden messages hidden within a book that's supposed to look like a book of witchcraft so that people who believed in witchcraft would avoid it. It fooled everyone for 300 years because it wasn't removed from the banned book list until
1: 1900. I was going to ask you to re-say when it was written, but so this book, is it? I guess I I should let you go on. (laughs) Since the publication
0: of the decryption key of the first two volumes in 1606, they've been known to be actually concerned with cryptography and steganography. And until recently, the third volume of this book series was widely believed to still be just about magic. But the quote unquote magical formula have now also been revealed to be cover texts for cryptographic
1: content. So all, he released three of these books, right? Yes. And all three of them are hidden messages about how to give hidden messages? Correct. So and he hit them so well that everyone believed they were books about magic and they were banned for 300 years. Okay, I only have one thing to say in response to that. Uh, Hogwarts is 100% real. <laughs> and this guy is involved in hiding it. Well, he might believe so because a lot of the
0: reasons that he was so heavily discredited is that he was into the occult and is considered as a
1: father of occultism. His name? J.K. Rowling. <laughs> But so, is this book still something people read today, or is it something that is referenced?
0: Something that is referenced. I imagine it would be a very difficult read. I think mostly it's referenced by members of the occult, and they also take it at face value as a book about magic and using telepathy and communicating via bouncing magical waves off of planets and it's a lot of nonsense but all that information makes it really easy to hide hidden actual messages. information and that's an important part of steganography actually is that the medium through which it's con- like the message is conveyed is so information rich that you can have redundant information and negligible information that hides other messages
1: so is that a requirement of stegan- steganography Not necessarily,
0: but it makes it a lot easier. So let's jump to a modern day example. Okay, good. How does this exist today? Because we can't necessarily shave every message we want to send privately into our best friend's head. Or writing in invisible ink is actually, you know, if you get a piece of paper that smells like lemons, and all you have to do is hold it up in the light so it's not very secure. Or urine. Either way, not exactly airtight security. A digital means of steganography uses another medium, which is very information rich, not books, JPEGs. Any sort of photo, actually, that is shared online is so dense with information Hmm. because each and every pixel that comprises a very large image has a lot of information within it. The least significant bit. This is actually probably one of the easiest to understand and one of the most powerful forms of secret communication that you can use online. Whoa there, past Asher. Eager beaver. Future Asher here. Just wanted to butt in to add a word that past Asher forgot, which is relatively least significant bit is relatively easy to understand compared to other digital forms of steganography. However, as he is about to find out, still pretty difficult to explain, but it is so cool. So please bear with me a little bit. By the end of this conversation, I will have hopefully explained how this system works and you can at least have a general idea of how it is used today. Everything is being tracked. If you can send messages through pictures of cats and only the person receiving the message knows that there's a hidden message within that picture of a cat, that's pretty secure. A 24-bit, bitmap image uses eight bits to represent each of the three color values. So a screen has three different colors, red, green and blue. And the amount of intensity of each of those colors is how we get the color of the pixel. A little more green, a little more red, a little less blue gives a particular color. And if you reduce that blue by a tiny fraction, it gets a different color. But the blue channel alone has two to the eighth power different levels of blue intensity. So one shade of blue can be written as one 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 one. Is that eight ones? I wasn't really counting. And another one could be one, 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 zero. And those are two different shades of blue, but they're undetectable by the human eye. So you can use the least significant bit of whatever that color is to hide other information.
1: So how would you and I do this? If there is a... And this picture, is, remember, this is an audio format, so.
0: <laughs> Yes, but thankfully, this is... Uh, when, you're, when you're dealing with ones and zeros, it's pretty ephemeral anyways. That's fair. I want to send you a picture of my cat, Katsu. She's cute, I love her, and I think the whole world needs to see more of her. But every other pixel within the photograph, I'm going to alter the color value just slightly. Completely n- imperceptible to the human eye. But whatever the altered number is in that color value, is going to be a character within an ASCII code.
1: See, my confusion is, so you are taking this photo that you have taken, but you are changing the values in it. How do I know that those values are different than the original values? The most imperceptible spot the difference ever. I send you a
0: photo, then I send you a second photo with the altered pixels. You will only be able to tell what the difference is by comparing it to the original. But your eye could never pick up a shift in color that minute.
1: What I would be looking at would be exclusively the differences between the two images.
0: Yeah. So in one picture, you go to the one hundredth pixel, and the blue value is one 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 one. But in the secret message version, that same pixel has a blue value of one 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 zero. So now that means you write down zero. And then move on to the next one hundredth pixel and see what the difference is.
1: That sounds after, like a nightmare. After,
0: yeah. After you've done four pixels, that is enough information to get a letter of the alphabet. So zero 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 one zero one zero one, whatever the four zeros and ones that you get can correspond directly to a uh, numerical or alphabetical value. And you need four numbers to do that. Why not just two? Actually, this says you can encode one letter for every three pixels. Hmm. Oh, well, does that still make sense?
1: Yeah, I, I think I'm tracking enough for it to make sense. I don't think we, you, me or the listeners need to know the actual formula behind it. I may have to step in later when I'm editing to clarify if I if I realize that I don't understand what I'm talking about. <laughs> yep. But basically, say our image had four pixels in the entire image um, and one of them, the code is one one one. Are in the original one, but you changed it to two, three, four. Now I have three digits. I can create a letter out of that and we can create a code from there. Yes. Thank you. I think honestly, I think breaking anything down into fewer of the things that we're talking about is going to make it more straightforward. Just using smaller numbers.
0: That's a good idea. I mean, but that's I as could... complicated as we're going to get. And yeah. believe
1: it or not, that's one of the
0: simplest versions of digital steganography that I could find.
1: But digital steganography is the way it's most commonly used now, right? Because when I was thinking of it earlier, all I could think of was clever ways to do it with physical stuff. Sure. And I
0: mean, there's allegations that certain terrorist groups have hidden messages within pornography and other images using this exact technique. Uh, FBI alleged that Russian foreign intelligence services used customized steganography software to embed messages in image files. Using a bit more of a complicated version of this, but it's definitely something that still goes on today. And it's, as you might imagine, very difficult to even theorize how common the practice is. Yeah. Any image you see online could be a secret message for someone who has the original unaltered version and that code would be hidden within just a few pixels. See, I feel like my chameleon joke still makes sense. Well, it ties in nicely with the changing color thing. Yeah. Let's cool down with one last example that is a lot easier to understand and I think has been popularized by movies. Morse code can be sent through more means than just over a wire. Famously, Jeremiah Denton repeatedly blinked his eyes in Morse code during the 1966 televised press conference that he was forced into as an American prisoner of war by his North Vietnamese captors. He spelled out the word torture by blinking. That confirmed to, for the very first time to the U.S. naval intelligence that American prisoners of war were being tortured by the North Vietnamese. That's wild. A less scary and perhaps even more ingenious use of Morse code is tying knots into yarn, using a knot as a dot or two knots as, as a dash, tying that into yarn and then sewing that into a piece of clothing. That's cool later taking the thread out of the sleeve of the clothes and just reading the yarn by the dots and dashes created by the knots. That's cool. In the early days of printing presses, it was really common to mix different typefaces. Um, I didn't know this because I thought that we have just a jumble of different typefaces. That was just kind of an aesthetic of, you know, like, come see live a bear first time in New York City. You know, like it has all these different super ugly typefaces. Mm -hmm. Well, the reason that there was so much variety in the typefaces is, is because you only had so much of that typeface. And when you ran out of letters, you had to switch to a different typeface. But that meant that you could hide messages using two or more different typefaces, such as you could read every italic letter and that would spell out something different.
1: So I think I kind of did this at some point. In a sense that, like, if I was sending a note to a friend and I wanted, if it got picked up by somebody else, it to not be interpreted, I would make it where they only read the capital letters, for example. Yeah,
0: that's steganography, boy. You have done this. I have and done this. And in fact, this.
1: there is a hidden message within
0: the description of one of our episodes of Strictly Confidential using a very similar technique. I'll never tell which one.
1: Man, you're doing that to me, too. That's, uh... That's a mean thing to do
0: well, there is a long list of other digital and physical techniques of steganography you can find online, but we'll have to get that that at a later date because I think I hear yeah, I do I hear my favorite jingle.
1: So, yeah, um, welcome to our hit the Snopes. Today's is going to be as far from the intelligence level of our topic as possible, because the Snopes that I found for this is just titled, could a blue whale's fart contain a horse? (laughs) (laughs) Yes, that is the question. I wanted it in a bubble. I was trying to come up with a better way of phrasing it. Just like, no, they got it. They got it. They nailed it. Uh, a couple of years ago, uh, when was it? I mean, it might've been actually 2018 because this whole thing came out in 2018. But there there have been a decent amount of studies in recent history about people who are focused on animal farts. There's a 1990 study that talked about different kinds of farts and specifically talked about whale farts, but they talked about the specific sound they made and not the size. The reason this is brought up in any place at all is because this photo came out from a place called 8fact.com of a blue whale farting. And for some reason, they decided to go with it to say, a blue whale's fart bubbles are large enough to enclose a horse. (laughs) Listen, man, when you want to get funding
0: for research, Mm -hmm. you have to put the very complex findings into terms that common people
1: can understand. I guess if I was trying to pitch this research project to an actual human being, I wouldn't want to just say, Hey, what if we figure out whether or not whale farts are are bigger than 40 inches wide? I would want to say, could I fit a horse in a whale fart? I'm the only man who can conquer this mission. And so yesterday I did read a sentence that started off saying the word fart dates back to the 14th century because of this study. And so I highly recommend people actually go through and read this, but do you want to hear the conclusion to it? Yes, of course. So they said, we asked Danny Rabbiati, co-author of Does It Fart, if she had heard of this horse claim and if she had any opinions on it. And this is what she said. I think basically the conclusion I have come to in numerous discussions is it depends on the size of the horse. (laughs) And whether said horse has to be in solid form. It also depends on what depth your whale fart occurs, because obviously gases become compressed at deeper depths. A liquefied Shetland pony would undoubtedly fit in a whale fart at a shallow depth, but a solid Clydesdale isn't going to fit in a whale fart down at 500 meters.
0: <laughs> this woman went to school <laughs> she did. to eventually be paid to write the words liquefied Shetland pony. Well, I'm a little bit disappointed at the answer that's kind of a cop out being it
1: varies. They did give a good answer. They just said that. Technically, no, a horse isn't going to fit. But if it was a very small child horse that was liquefied, you could fit it in there.
0: I'm thinking about when they began this project, when they started this research. Just for a 30-minute meeting in my office, we have to create a POST. And that is an acronym because corporate America loves acronyms. P, purpose. O, objective. Those two are different for some reason. S, something else. I forget. T, time, how
1: long the meeting is going to be. What do you think they put for any of those? Do you think that this person who was assigned to this project was excited to write this piece? Did you think it might be a punishment? I don't I know. I think it's someone who is,
0: I think we have a case of someone who is in research that has a background in
1: marketing because they had to have known that this was going to blow up on the internet. I think it's got to be a passion project. And it is a good thing my mom stopped listening to this show like, Thirty-nine episodes ago, because she <laughs> yeah. does not Good like thing. the it, she does not like
0: the word fart. Well, while we had to sink millions into the research of figuring out what a fart sounds like underwater, if you have a Spotify or an iTunes account, you can find out pretty easily what our theme song sounds like. It's the song "Threadbare" off the album "Burn of Proof." Burn of Proof. Difficult with the enunciation today. Good clean take. We want to thank Glimro for the use of that song. And yeah, glimmeromusic.com If you want to check out what he's doing. And thanks to Connor Voigt for the jingle, Hit the Snopes, that we love so much. It's a friggin' jam.
1: Yeah, if you want to follow us on our social media, we are on Instagram as Strictly Confidential Show and on Twitter as S Show. And if you want to send us anything, it can be information on blue whales farts. It can be information on horses. It can be anything that also doesn't fit into either of those categories. Um, our email address is Show at gmail.com.
0: If you want to be on the show, we'd love to interview you. Come talk to us about your favorite blue whale fart experiences. And if you enjoyed this show, please tell your best friend. They have similar tastes that you do. And if you like it, they might like it. Word of mouth is the best way for us to grow. So we really appreciate it. I think that's pretty much it. I think we're yeah, done. that's pretty much all we do. So until next time, I've been Asher. I've been Jackson. And you've been listening to Strictly Confidential. And as always, stay sneaky.
1: Yeah. No, capitalize that. Yeah.